Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the show and just remind everyone that we have shirts in the shop. Go to pgttcm.com. You can pick up shirts, stickers. We even have those shower curtains I was talking about last time. Also, you can join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Check out the show notes and learn how you can be a part of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, help support the show any way you can. Patreon users, uh, you get a free sticker, at least. So check out what we've got. Uh, show notes, that's where you're going to find our PayPal link and our sponsors and any information about any guests that are on the show and where to find them. Thank you. You're listening to KZOM, Olean Public Radio. 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 And to my right, Farmer Dave. How's it going, Dave? I am well for the new year, and I hope that our listeners are too. Yeah, everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful 2022. And I uh, hope uh, hope everything's uh, well in your neck of the woods. It's, it's kind of drizzly cold. The snow's melted. There's little bits here and there on the road. Big patches in the uh, graveyard here and there. And uh, any, any place where there's a lot of shadows, uh, the rain hasn't washed it all away. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty gloomy looking out here. It's cold. It's drizzly. I had to walk to the uh, medical center to get uh, my booster shot and my flu shot today because I had an uh, appointment. And, oh, man, it, it, uh, I, I had to change socks right before the show. So, <laughs> yes. so, so, so you know what? 2022 is backwards. Uh, it, uh, what's 2022 backwards? 2202. Oh, I thought it was going to be some joke. It, that was the joke, but there is no punchline. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. And once uh, again, being too sophisticated and witty for our audience, <laughs> send hate mail to former Dave, care of. Um, I, I, I don't. Yeah. PGTTCM.com. Uh, yes. Year of the Tiger, I believe. Year of the Tiger. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. I would have thought last year was Year of the Tiger with all that Tiger King. <laughs> yes. So, so, so do you know what Chinese New Year's... Uh, do you know what... Uh, what I am? Uh, you are... No, I don't. I don't. I am a fire goat. Ooh, I am a metal dragon. Oh, well, so every year, you know, they have the, the Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. and you go as some sort of representation of, uh, of, of your, your creature. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think uh, felony is a, uh, or 
your 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 sign. So felony is, you know, a, a water rat. Mm-hmm. So she goes as a pirate. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, you know, one of Louis's kids is a fire pig. Mm-hmm. So he goes as bacon. Nice. And I am a fire goat. So this year I'm going as Bathomet. I just wear a uh, dragon t-shirt and play metal. So, you know. That's, 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 fits right in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've, uh, I've been to Louis' uh, New Year's party, uh, which is going to be, oh, shoot, when is, when is New Year's, the other New Year's? <laughs> the, so, the funner New Year's. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, uh. It's coming up. It's in it's February. End of January, early February. Okay. New okay, Year's cool, cool. or uh, Chinese or Asian New Year. So yeah. we'll, we got a little bit of time before, you know, we get, uh, all go down to uh, Oblivion's and. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, celebrate the New celebrate. Year. Second. I know, you know we've had one New Year's, yeah. but can we have a second New Year's? I mean, any new calendar year uh, is celebrated at Oblivion's, which is which is pretty nice. Whether it be Sumerian or the, uh, I don't know, uh, the Gregorian, <laughs> even the Julian calendar. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I, spra- I, I celebrate Julian <coughs> New Year with fries. Nice. Julian fries. <laughs> Well, uh, send your hate mail to Farmer Dave, <laughs> or send better puns to Farmer yes. Dave. <laughs> Stop me before I pun again. Yeah, we're not trying to rip off blurry photos there, but if you do want to send Dave better puns, feel free. Uh, punch up Dave's jokes at pgttcm.com/contact, and you can write to us. Hey, um, what are we talking about this week? So we are talking about Joey Kerwin. Joseph Kerwin? I went to high school with that guy. I, I think it might be a different Joey Kerwin, but... I think maybe you went to uh, high school with his great-great-grandson. Okay. That's because, well, that was a Charles Dexter Ward. Charles Dexter for, Ward. For those of you who, who got it. Yeah. Both of you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So Joseph Kerwin, of course, appears in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I believe, the largest surviving Lovecraft story word count. It's got a little huh. over 51,000 words. Cool. And it's right there with the Mountains of Madness. I think it is the longest thing that he wrote that survives. Interesting, interesting. And uh, we are also talking about, I believe we're talking about Kaiga today at some point. Yes, we are. All right, all right. And that's that's uh, some sort of... Uh, tentacled eye monster correct uh yeah yeah okay yeah. okay that's about now you now the audience knows about as much as about kaiga as there is to know but All right. we'll go a little bit more detail cool that. cool cool and uh let's see you're talking to scott glancy yes we are we are talking about spies in horror Ooh, that's cool that's super cool i don't know enough about spies ever to talk about spies with scott so that's, that's pretty the way awesome. the spies like it <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, just to let everyone know, not this episode, but next episode, uh, we're going to have a special guest. And that special guest is my new Glary guitar. I'm getting it tomorrow in the mail. So you're going to hear my new hollow body Glary with the uh, trapeze pickup. Uh, not trapeze pickup, trapeze bridge. And uh, yeah, so check that out and uh, go to check the show notes out and look for the link to save some money at Glary and uh, also hey Copper Cow also the show's sponsor check out uh, Copper Cow pour over coffee a couple packages in a box you can get a subscription and that subscription will keep you going month to month so that you don't have to you know just go to the website over and over to get your Copper Cow so, Dave, who yes. the heck is this Joseph Kerwin character? So, Joseph Kerwin uh-huh. is the antagonist or the bad guy yeah. in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Okay. Um, and so, this was... As near as I can tell, mm-hmm. completely written by Lovecraft. Okay. But was not published for at least three years, I believe. Uh, it was uh, serialized major July uh-huh. 1941. Okay. Uh, so it was published posthumously. And um, Donald Wondry and August Derleth submitted it to... Um, uh, Oh, uh, Weird Tales. Okay. Now, um, w- you know, we got, you always got to be sort of questionable when uh, August Darrell gets in his hands yeah. uh, on something that's published after Lovecraft's death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think Wondry maybe kept him <laughs> from messing with it. There well, may have been good. some editing, there may be some change, but I don't think anyone that I'm aware of really doubts that this is 99% Lovecraft. All right. It's definitely, it reads Lovecraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in fact, um, it gets a lot better. I had a lot of problems in the beginning of the book mm-hmm. because of all of this architecture porn that Lovecraft describes, you know, a page or so about these different buildings that yeah. are, are real buildings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and uh, so I, I, I really don't think that this was changed much from way Lovecraft wrote it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically, uh, Chucky Dexter Ward, yeah. or Charles Dexter Ward, gets interested in black magic and different, and he brings forth his dead relative which is Joseph Kerwin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who kills him yeah and and Kerwin looks like Charles Dexter Ward so he starts passing himself off oh um spoilers sorry yeah hey, uh, yeah so um we're going to be talking about an 80 year old story uh, <laughs> and, and we're probably assuming that you know this story yeah if you're remotely into Lovecraft because yeah. that's probably one of his most famous but yeah uh, sorry about that there's spoilers so yeah so Charles Dexter Ward gets killed yep. in his own book relatively quick mm-hmm. uh, and Kerwin basically 
lives his life. But, you know, he's, what, a couple hundred years old? He's from revolutionary time. Yeah. Um, and um, so, so he, he, he doesn't quite pull it off. And so he gets locked into an insane asylum. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what happens. And uh, something I wanted to point out before uh, uh, you get back to uh, what you're talking about is something I think is funny, and I, I think I've pointed this out online before, is that uh, the case, uh, the strange case, no, 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 the case of Charles Dexter Ward is two guys pretending to be one guy, while the strange case of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one guy pretending to be two people. That's actually a very, very good point. There. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I just think it's, 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 it's a little weird that they have uh, both have uh, the case of, but yeah, <laughs> and and um, I'm I'm sure Lovecraft had probably read that. Oh sure, uh, read yeah. Stevens, or oh, at least yeah. was aware of it. Yeah, um, and. This, Lovecraft doesn't really do characters. Mm-hmm. Characters are secondary to words and stories. Lovecraft. Yeah. But this is very he, in this he creates a rather complex, interesting, filled out character. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he wants to. He, he's, he's evil and he's black magic. But yeah. for Lovecraft, you know, it's it's a pretty uh, filled out character. Sure. Um, and one of the interesting things is he has this sort of network of other black wizards and, mm-hmm. you know, dark wizards sure. and Yogg-Sagoth worshippers that, that he keeps in contact with. Mm-hmm. I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking and I was taking a, a shower because we always have our best thoughts in the shower mm-hmm. but I was thinking you know I was trying to think of sort of Charles I mean uh, Joseph Kerwin where he would sort of fit in and like if uh, he was a super villain okay and I started thinking of all of sort of Lovecraft's pro uh, antagonists as, as super villains and, and and I'm kind of created in my mind this legion of doom mm-hmm. for um Lovecraftian antagonist okay. and so I was thinking you know Kerwin would first be you know first I thought well he'd be Lex Luthor mm-hmm. but I kind of thought you know who made more sense as the Lex Luthor character is the uh, Robert Sunyan mm-hmm. who's uh, the bad guy horror at the uh, horror at Red Hook okay so I would say I would say if I was going to give Joseph Kerwin I'd make him Sinestro. Oh, he's I was going to say Sinestro. The team. brainy. You know, he has power. <laughs> uh, he, he's kind of a snarker there. Sure, sure. Uh, he definitely can manipulate and change things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where, where where would you put him? Oh, uh, Brainiac. Brainiac. That was my other thought. Yeah. Was possibly Brainiac. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure. Definitely maybe, not Toy Man. Maybe Herbert West is Brainiac. Ooh. Yeah, no, no. I think Herbert West is Toy Man. <laughs> Toy Man, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, uh, uh, 
Kaiser Mason or the the witch from um, Dreams of the Witch House. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's either probably Tita or, or Giganta. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, um, I would definitely. I think though that he lines up parallel with with Sinestro. Yeah. Because and the other interesting thing we don't think of this, you know, it's kind of a time travel story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, he time travels by dying, mm-hmm. and then he gets resurrected by his his great great grandson or whatever, and or whatever relative, and then he pays him off by coming. But it's it really is sort of a time travel story. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I think is really interesting about this, and Kerwin. Uh, besides the fact that he's got this, he's also kind of. If I had to put him with anyone else. He's kind of a kind of a Moriarty figure. You know, yeah, he's got this network yeah. all around. Maybe even Fu Manchu. Ooh. Uh, you know, because he's, he's got this this network that he can't always trust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, the the other thing that I uh, Mori, he's definitely I think like a Moriarty figure. Mm-hmm. He's got this sort of secret cults and you know followers yeah. that he needs to sort of make fear and fear him instead of trust him yeah 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 kind of like uh the classic pulp villain who uh would you know uh you fool shoot the bungler like uh dr zinwood and johnny quest episodes <laughs> yes and, and no matter what and when I think of him, mm-hmm. despite how he's described, yeah, he is always going to look like Vincent Price to me. <laughs> yeah, because he's he, he's basically um, Roger Corman did the Haunted Palace. Yeah, which is really the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I believe Vincent Price's character is. Charles, they, he uses the Haunted Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Joseph Kerwin is the name. And, no, you know, Price just nails both this Charles Dexter Ward sort of... He's a more of an innocent character. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least in Lovecraft, the guy uh, was into black magic yeah. and, and studying the occult. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Haunted Palace, Charles Dexter Ward is, is, he just sort of ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. and ended up inheriting this Haunted Palace. Yeah. But, oh, <laughs> uh, and I was fortunate enough, and, and you probably did uh, too, about two or three years ago, the Lovecraft Film Festival and the Hollywood mm-hmm. Theater yeah. did this full screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was lovely. And so it wasn't the first time I'd seen it, but it was the first time I'd seen it in full screen. Yeah, it was the first time I'd seen it and the first time I'd seen it in full screen. So, yeah, no, it's it's a great film. And, and, and Vincent Price, he just tears up the screen. Oh, yeah. As Joseph Kerwin. Mm-hmm. And he just, everything you expect. So, yeah, you want to know who Joseph Kerwin is? He's Vincent Price, evil character. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I definitely would go with Vincent Price. Yeah. Joseph Kerwin. So the, there's another <laughs> version of Joseph Kerwin. It's not a visual one, but it's an audio one that mm-hmm. I really like. Ooh. And that was about three, maybe four years now, but mm-hmm. I think it was about three years ago. 
BBC did uh, BBC Podcasting did the case of Charles Dexter Ward. I remember you mentioning this a billion years ago, but yeah, yeah, I haven't checked it out yet, but yeah, I and, have and to. So, so they've, they they kept the story, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they basically changed it to the, the format to a true crime podcast. That is really cool. And 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 this the actors and the even the new characters they brought up, mm-hmm. it definitely. It, 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 it was highly highly done yeah yeah now there's something else that I thought about this too and I know that I mean you can't talk about Joseph Kerwin without talking about the case of Charles Dexter Ward sure but yeah and something else I thought you know so Dexter we think of Dexter as a, as a first name yeah but you know there's also in um Oh, uh, the Haunter in the Dark. Mm-hmm. This Doctor Dexter that yeah. throws the the glowing trapezoid. Dexter is a very common East Coast established family yeah. last name. Mm-hmm. You know, and we see you know Pikmin, and we have you know Pikmin Derby. Yeah. So a lot of characters. So Dexter, a lot of Lovecraftian characters have last names for middle names yeah but i was thinking about that you think of it because it's howard phillips lovecraft mm-hmm, mm-hmm. phillips is his mom's maiden name sure. it's not philip yeah. uh, like in cast the deadly spell it's not it's phillips and, and i think that that is probably what's pretty common uh in the east coast especially at that time mm-hmm. to to have especially you know the phillips were a much more prosperous family than the Lovecrafts. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. It yep. is, uh, yeah, no, um, like my father's middle name is of that of his father's mother's family who is fairly prosperous. So he got that as a middle name, um, which I in turn uh, received as a middle name as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so, yeah. so I, a lot of Lovecraft characters will have last names or middle mm-hmm. names. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, because I think lo- because Lovecraft did definitely definitely and I, uh, th- th- that's just that's just something that's uh, kind of done with uh, like families that have like attached to other prominent families it's like well I mean I mean I, I don't know how many people ended up with like Roosevelt or Vanderbilt as their middle names but <laughs> yeah. I've definitely heard people with Roosevelt as their their middle name uh, yeah that's definitely definitely a naming convention uh, East Coast West Coast uh, some families Families do it of like you know uh, mother's maiden name uh, for like the firstborn or something like that. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Charles Dexter Ward, which we're not talking about this week, uh, not talking about for a while. But uh, is 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 a good story, and Joseph Kerwin is such a great villain. And it's it's like Joseph Kerwin is more of what the story is about than say Charles Dexter Ward. Yeah, Charles Dexter Ward is 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 just like I don't know. Uh-oh. He he well, so he's the victim. Yeah, yeah, he's the victim, you know, but he's the victim of the crime. Yeah. So, so but so it is his case, but he's also the persona that 
that Kerwin takes on. Sure, definitely, definitely. But if I mean, like honestly, Charles Dexter Ward is one of the least important characters in this story, except for the fact that Charles Dexter Ward knew black magic and had an ancestor who was a spooky wizard. (laughs) Just happened to be unlucky enough to know black magic. (laughs) Yeah, so so Ward is what a lot of characters in Lovecraft are. Oh, yeah. Uh, Plot device. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Where Kerwin is much more a character. Definitely. Yeah, and and I want to say, like, uh, the doctor in the second half of of, uh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward is far more of an interesting character than Charles Dexter Ward. It's like there's so many people in this story that... And there's not that many people in this story that are more interesting than Charles Dexter Ward. And Joseph Kerwin, it's, it's, it's like I would love... Uh, stories written about Joseph Kerwin in the Revolutionary Era. You know that 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 would that would be a fun story. I'd I, I'd read those. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Being absolutely. the uh, antagonist of uh, like I don't know, say a bunch of people in uh, Revolutionary or pre-Revolutionary uh, New England. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and we get to learn a lot about his life in mm-hmm. flash, and not really flashbacks, but in, in you know revealing and finding things yeah. in, in the books. And yeah, Doctor Allen discovering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's much more for us to discover about Charles Dexter Ward's uh, super duper ancestor, uh, Joseph Kerwin. I, th- I think we've got it covered. Yeah, just, yeah, y- y- yeah. You know, just. Yeah, don't don't use black magic to to resurrect your great 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 granddad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gonna kill you and take your life. Definitely, definitely. I was thinking about this earlier, and it's like you know when you watch a YouTube video and someone's doing something, and they're like, "Don't do this at home." You know, we're professionals. We know what we're doing. We have safety goggles and all this other stuff. I wish there would have been something for Charles Dexter Ward to be like, you know, if you summon a dead relative, make sure that you have this going on or they will take over your life. (laughs) This has been a PSA from the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Up next, we will have some Scott Glancy. And then after that, we will be talking about Kajiga. All right. See you after the break, everyone. And we are back, and this is the interview portion of the show. And we are—I'm really excited. Someone who I have, uh, you know, listened to and watched and read. In fact, you were at uh, the first uh, uh, CthulhuCon that I ever went to uh, as a Which speaker. Which one was that? Which one was uh, that? That was about six years ago. The one that they had at the hotel. Oh, you mean in uh, Portland? In Portland, yeah. Yes, the Cthulhu Con. That yes, yes, I remember that. That was uh, that actually ran amazingly smoothly for their first time out. Yeah, and so this is Adam Scott Glancy, and um, 
Scott, you want to maybe uh, introduce yourself and uh, let people, other people know uh, who you are and what you've done? Sure. Um, uh, at the moment, I am primarily uh, known for uh, being one of the creators and developers of uh, Delta Green, which began its life as a supplement for the uh, fifth and sixth editions of Call of Cthulhu back in 1996, I believe it was, when we first published it through Pagan Publishing, which was sort of a, a, a small boutique uh, a gaming uh, publisher for that uh, did a lot of support work for Call of Cthulhu back in the day. We've re-released the game in, uh, now uh, in the 21st century. Uh, Delta Green is now a standalone game using uh, its own set of rules and its own take on uh, the Cthulhu mythos, but the the themes remain the same. Um, that is to say, uh, we uh, originally looked at the idea of um, UFO conspiracy theories that were kicking around in the uh, 1990s, before just before the X-Files came out. And um, the very first Delta Green material actually was published just before the X-Files came out in like uh, 93. But the idea was, can we merge uh, the, the current mythology of, uh, of various conspiracy theories with the Cthulhu mythos. And our big successes were merging the idea that the, the Migo from the Whisper and Darkness were really behind all the abductions and maybe the Yithians with their mind swaps were behind all the instances of missing time that were such a big deal in 1990s um, UFOlogy. Um, Dennis Detwaller did a, had a, came up with a great idea of taking the um, Tillinghast resonator from the short story From Beyond and making it the device aboard the USS Eldridge that, uh, for the Philadelphia experiment that caused the ship to disappear and reappear. Um, so we sort of went through a lot of uh, conspiracy and 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 recent uh, modern occult sort of uh, uh, ideas and tried to hook the, hook that stuff up in ways uh, that would be entertaining for Call of Cthulhu players to, to encounter in the modern setting. And since then, Delta Green has gone on to uh, spawn novels, short story collections, uh, all basically built around the theme of, uh, of uh, government agents uh, investigating uh, the Cthulhu mythos, and our our big inspiration for that was, of course, the Lovecraft story, The Shadow of Rinsman, where we thought, gee, the government can't possibly have missed all those deep ones they captured. They must know something is up, starting in 1927, 1928. What's happened since then? You know, Excellent. what has been the progress? Or lack of progress uh, that has occurred uh, since the uh, the government swooped down and hauled off the population of Innsmouth, a la Japanese citizens being Japanese American citizens being interred, you know, during yeah. World War II. Uh, so that's uh, that that's the main thing that I've been involved with. I've had a few other game publishing successes uh, over the years and, and, and fiction publishing successes all over the years, but a lot of it's been related to to the mythos, and um, so which I expect is, you know, why you're having me on. 
Absolutely. In fact, so uh, we've kind of discussed this, but what I really wanted to talk to you about was spies and horror. And okay. I, I had this thought that the whole idea of spies is that there's this hidden world. There's these Russian illegals. There's number stations. There's NSA surveillance. Those are real things. But we don't see this on our surface world. Real good horror, I think, has the same sort of the uh, wainscoting where we don't see the real we see real world. We see this illusionary world that the monsters let us see, and that the horror is behind it. And if we peel back this this you know old wallpaper, then we see the the real world, and and. To me, they seem very similar. So I'm kind of surprised there's not more espionage and horror. Yeah, it, it was a really natural fit um, when we started developing Delta Green as a concept. And the idea being Delta Green is the name of a old department of the OSS during the Second World War. It was the name of the clearance that you had to have in order to hear about Innsmouth or hear about supernatural uh, events that affected national security. And it is about there are two worlds. There is the the, you know, the 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 surface world where we go about our normal daily life, and then just beyond it, there is this shadow world. Uh, and of course, you know, espionage is often referred to as a shadow world, and and then again, so is um, so is the supernatural, yeah, the paranormal. Um, so, uh, and I can't help but notice that uh, coming out of, I want to say, the Second World War, um, what was one of the most popular uh, nicknames for people engaged in espionage, but spooks. Spook, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm t- t- and shackled. the fact that there t- really was paranormal espionage programs like remote viewing and... Yep, uh, Project Stargate uh, managed to very successfully uh, waste a fair amount of taxpayer dollars on remote viewing. Uh, but um, and then there's little things that are sort of like a little more creepy, like uh, all the money that was spent on things like uh, Project uh, was it MK Artichoke, um, uh, MK Ultra, uh, um, yeah. Um, uh, I want to say it went through. Uh, there were a couple of the, uh, the iterations before were like Artichoke and I want to say Bluebird and then you know Ultra is the one we always hear about yeah. MK Ultra and, and for those few people that maybe are listening that aren't that was CIA chemical mind control experiments yeah they were convinced that we had a quote mind control gap because uh, of the, uh, the the effectiveness of the totalitarian states of you know North Korea Soviet Russia and read China to sort of break dissidents and get them to, you know, uh, you know, parrot the party line, um, and uh, during show trials and things. And they certainly had issues of uh, American soldiers captured during the Korean War uh, engaging in propaganda for the enemy, and uh, the, you know, the, the sort of, they, gee, they must be, they must be mind controlled. Um, 
they, the, the Soviets must have this this new technology where they can change people's thought processes. And of course, what you know they were just seeing is the results of people being abused and traumatized. You know, yeah. which did not stop guys like Sid Gottlieb, who was the head of that uh, department, to to go ahead and uh, abuse and traumatize various uh, Americans and others in an attempt to um, uh, reproduce these results in a in a in a way that they could always reliably go back to and that they quickly learned that no you can't reliably brainwash people it, it, the human brain doesn't work that way um, but uh, yeah there's a there's for us it was a very easy connection I mean we we you know, um, we, we would tell uh, when we were trying to sell Delta Green uh, as a product, you know, to other things like TV shows or uh, TV networks or uh, movie studios or um, uh, uh, game companies, you know, uh, video game companies. We'd often say, you know, it's like Lovecraft meets La Carre. And they'd look at me like, they'd look at us like, they didn't understand what words we were saying. So eventually, John Tynes realized the thing to say was, it's like uh, Tom Clancy meets Stephen King. And then, you know, everyone in the meeting would write that down because those things made money and they understood them, you know. Um, but uh, that kind of a mashup um, is, you know, I've gone out of my way to find examples of it. And there are a couple of people out there that certainly. Uh, do a pretty good job of uh, actually uh, uh, doing it as fiction. Um, there's not that much out there in, at least in my opinion, there's not that much out there uh, that's um, in movies and television. Uh, and when you say things like espionage, you know, what do you consider what's going on in, say, Stranger Things? Right? That's true. I, I, I hadn't it, thought about that, but you're right. Is it is it espionage that you've got these government agents trying to get their test subject back? You know, um, trying to reacquire, was it Eleven? Is that her name? Uh, yeah, so. but definitely the later seasons where the, the Russians have a secret base in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it... Uh, how much spoilers of people who have not seen season two and three of... It's, it's been a few years, and I am going to drop some spoilers, so I don't know what to tell people. Um, but, you know, the idea that... Uh, it, does that count as espionage? You know, um, certainly uh, the, uh, the, the, the government lab and the... Uh, creepy agents who are pursuing again Eleven um, look a lot like the guys from Stephen King's The Shop, the Department of Scientific Intelligence, nicknamed The Shop after the science fiction story The Weapons Shops of Isher, uh, because their department was all about developing new weapon systems, and uh, they're trying to recover the most successful test subject from the Lot 6 drug program, which again is based on the kind of drug experiment that the CIA did with uh, LSD in the 50s and 60s. And King has brought the shop back to name drop it a few times in some other stories like uh, the Tommyknockers, uh, the, the, the expanded edition of The Stand. I want to say it's also in an expanded edition of The Mist. They're mentioned as the guys behind the Arrowhead project that blow a hole in reality. 
they're definitely all over the TV series, the golden years in the movie, the lawnmower man as the guys who are again, working on cutting edge technologies and are absolutely willing to kill to uh, maintain the security of this, these technological breakthroughs. Yeah. And the golden, uh, the golden years for, for those who haven't seen it, I, I, again, it's probably pretty 20 years, but there was a scene where, um, the good guys and the bad guys would lack of, were trying to both lock a on a computer system trying to lock a code to lock the other ones out and that scene had me on this edge of my seat like nothing had for years yeah the um the the idea that it, the when I saw it, I saw it when it was broadcast. So I was there for the cliffhanger, and there's a theatrical version of it. You can see where they they end the story, you know, uh, because uh, uh, which is yeah, sort of a eh, it's not great. It's not a it's not it's not a great ending at all. But um, I was very happy with uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess it was R D Call was the. Uh, the the uh, the antagonist agent from the shop, and I'm I'm forgetting the name of the actress uh, who was uh, I'm totally blanking on the name of the actress who played defecting shop agent who proceeds to you know uh, try and keep our our uh, our janitor from being um, uh, taken back to a laboratory and dissected to find out why he is now moving backwards through time. Um, uh, but I, I there's a lot. There was actually a lot of good stuff in Golden Years as far as that kind of, the kind of stuff that we got from, you know, uh, uh, Firestarter and um, uh, from uh, uh, Stranger Things. Um, on the other hand, you know, that, there's that kind of thing that comes up every once in a while in horror. That uh, and, and certainly there's a. I've been looking uh, I believe around. it was uh, I cheated I looked I believe it was Felicity Huffman it is it is absolutely Felicity Huffman but there's a there was a great name there's a great moment where Felicity Hoffman is referring to R.D. Call's character and is like everyone used to say John Rainbird was the best agent the, the shop ever produced but I always knew it was this guy instead you know uh, and I which I thought was a, beloved as a call out to the original you know material uh, from Firestarter there's there you know, there's certainly that sort of level of where horror meets um, if not if not espionage then government power you know but I'm gonna just go throw out some of the titles I came across uh, Clyde Barker did a story called Twilight of the Towers where the the uh, agents uh, both the of both sides of the Cold War have been um, transformed essentially into monsters in order to better fight the cold war and at some point they realize that um they have nothing in common with the governments and the people who created them and that you know really they should be in charge um that uh, the cold the, the cold war doesn't matter anymore to them they're outside the human race um the, the, the sort of um i was going to say that uh some of the earliest examples I can I ran across reading um, espionage plus horror. It was one of, one of the books. It was one of the last book of blood. Um, but I suddenly remember that um, one of the things that uh, that I ran across that also had this sort of the government meets supernatural horror was um, Charles Strauss's A Colder War. Yes, uh, that's an amazing story. 
Yeah, uh, which sort of predates his his descent into the laundry files, which absolutely is a thousand percent espionage meets the supernatural. If people are not familiar with the laundry files by Charles Strauss, they should check it out. Strauss is a lovely guy, and uh, because he mentioned Delta Green in the afterword of the first uh, laundry file book, The Atrocity Archive, like literally the last line in the book uh, of the edition I have reads something to the effect of, you know, I've run across very few, I used to play Call of Cthulhu, and there's very few things that have gotten me excited about going back to the gaming table except Delta Green, you know? And I'm like, wow. So I contacted him, and he was perfectly willing to chat online in a shocking kind of way, like, hey, you want to see the uh, the manuscript for the next book? Uh, he just, just sent it to me, like, I mean, to, in a Word document, and I'm like, does your agent know you're just giving away <laughs> the book? I mean, the, I would imagine their agent would be pulling their hair out if they knew that they just handed off the manuscript. Here you go, we'll look at it. But um, I think, I, I believe that was, uh, I think it was the Jennifer Morg uh, that he handed off. I'm pretty, I mean, it may have been the Fuller Memorandum. But Which the Jennifer Morg, for those who haven't read, that is definitely, I think, the most espionage In fact, it's almost, uh, it's, it's almost a, uh, satire but oh, also yeah. loving tribute to James Bond it, it absolutely is and one of the things Strauss talks about is that um, each of these books um, when they started off he tried to combine his Lovecraftian horror with um, various uh, spy novelists like um, Jennifer Morg is definitely a send up of uh, of the Bond books by uh I'm suddenly forgetting the, the forgetting the name of the author of the James Bond novel. Oh, Fleming, Ian Fleming, but others were like you know Robert Ludlum. Um, others were were modeled after John Le Carre. Uh, you know, um, so the the he there was a deliberate attempt to sort of skip around and, and apply these these other uh, book styles uh, in the uh, in the the, the world of uh, espionage novels uh, to these uh, like uh, uh, to these these uh, laundry file books. He's also uh, when, when he turned up at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival a couple times. Um, one of the things he, he mentioned out loud was that he always wants to write those stories darker, and his agents and the publishers are always pushing back to keep those stories a little light. Uh, you know, every once in a while he'll slip in something, you know, uh, where he he sort of hints at some darker stuff, and he has managed to do some pretty dark things inside uh, the stories. But um, they it, people might be you know sort of put off by uh, the humor that's in there because uh, Strauss does a pretty good job of uh, taking the piss out of bureaucracies. Yeah, and what I, I like though, and, and first of all, I love that his character is named Bob Tower. Oh yeah, that's another obvious tribute to Robert E., the guy who brought us Conan. Yeah, uh -huh. but also, you know, there's a lot of humor in it, and I love the humor, but it's not, it's, it's how his character 
deals with all these things going around them. It's not it's not that these cosmic entities or the end of the world is funny. It's how his main character deals with the stress of going what's going sure, around. But with characters like his Q division being run by a guy's t- uh, 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 you know elderly Pinky gay, in the brain, uh, elderly gay couple called Pinky in the brain, uh, comes off as sort of ludicrous, you know, um, uh, because of their nicknames, you know. Um, uh, but even so, uh, the there's a line about you know we keep a shotgun in the house for in case uh, we're ever faced with the uh, with the case nightmare green scenario, and the shotgun isn't for firing at what's coming towards the house. It's for me, my wife, and any kids we might have. You know, um, he makes it very clear that that's the the escape route is to blow your head off when it all goes down. But then the story will sort of veer away from that pretty quickly. But I love Strauss's stuff. Um, I, you know, have uh, everything through the Reese's chart on my bookshelf and the rest of it is on Kindle um, because uh, I just ran out of room. I, I am, I've had to go with a fair number of uh, digital books over the years just because of the weight and volume of this stuff. However, still on paper is stuff from the writer Laird Barron. Uh, he definitely has uh, a story called Old Virginia, which I believe is in The Beautiful Thing uh, That Comes for Us All. Um, in that short story collection, which is about um, Old Virginia, is about you know basically the CIA doing experiments with witchcraft. Um, and uh, it, it does not work out well. Um, the, there's a Laird Barron definitely um, has a nice he comes up against the edges of espionage and secret societies quite a bit um, in his stories um, his stories often involve uh, very rough and hard characters like something you'd expect out of a Harvey Howard you know story um, coming up against the supernatural and uh, getting squished like a bug hitting a windshield because when the supernatural turns up, you know, everything fails. You know, math fails, uh, reality fails, and you might be uh, com- uh, you might be the top predator in your reality, but that you know that just all goes away once you're facing supernatural horror. Um, Brian Lumley's Necroscope is another one to bring up where, you know, the the ability to be a necromancer and speak with the dead becomes a an espionage tool. And uh, Lumley was did some stuff in his real life that were that was, you know, adjacent to espionage and that he was in the British military police, I think, for his career. Um, and necroscope. Uh, yeah, I, I knew he. I knew he was in service in England, but I wasn't sure exactly where he. Yeah, where he served. Necroscope uh, always gave me one of my favorite lines of all time, which was uh, as they're describing the British uh, intelligence agency that deals with supernatural assets and threats. Um, he describes it as not so much a branch of government more like a creeper vine growing up the, the, the trunk of the tree of government. And that always, I was just like, Mwah, thank you, Brian. Yeah. That's, 
that is uh, that is exactly how uh, I would love to describe uh, Delta Green. Um, there was a line from the not terribly good uh, Mel Gibson movie Conspiracy Theory where somebody says, you know, what agency do you work for? And he says, well, if the uh, if the intelligence community is a family, we're the uncle nobody talks about. Yeah. Which I was also very happy with. Um, Cody Goodfellow is another good, weird fiction writer who's around now um, and is currently cranking out uh, stuff pretty regularly. He wrote a pair of novels and uh, uh, some connected short stories, uh, Radiant Dawn, Ravenous Dusk, that um, do an amazing job of uh, sort of hooking in not just espionage and the FBI and uh, special forces and special operations. Um, he hooks all that into uh, a really incredible story of, uh, of the uh, Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, where he he does some he does some great Shagath work is what he does and he he does this great thing in the story here's your spoiler where he decides that cancer is the proto matter that Shagaths were created out of that when we as humans get cancer that's the matter of our bodies losing the thread and reverting back to the sludge, essentially, the non-functioning, only growing cells that the elder things uh, originally carved us out of when they were uh, creating the shock and smack in the day. And um, let's see here. I believe he also had a, a really good... So, the idea behind the story being that, you know, um, cancer is a window into uh, Shagath's being reborn. And um, it's, uh, it was super, it was super creepy and very well done in those two novels. Um, he also, if I'm, I'm looking here, he also did a, uh, a uh, another short story and I'm yep I am not finding it I thought it was I thought it was in uh, the book of Cthulhu 1 it doesn't appear to be he did one where it was uh, uh, a story involving the uh, the elder things and a uh, the elder things the uh, uh, the great race of Yith and a, uh, a special forces operation in Colombia that is just fantastic. Um, he made the elder things from uh, the uh, uh, Mounds of Madness absolutely terrifying. Mm. Absolute terrifying, which honestly they don't usually get to be. Um, you know, uh, uh, Lovecraft drops the line in the original story. These were these were men, not not shaped like you or I, but uh, they yeah. were they were beings of intelligence and culture and, and, and scientific curiosity. Now that's all well and good, except you know we're the we're the gunk in the petri dish to them. So that that comes to you know. Uh, how it's going to go between us and the uh, 
the, uh, the elder things. Um, but Goodfellas, Ravenous Dusk, and uh, sorry, Ray Dawn and Ravenous Dusk are both excellent books that uh, combine some of this stuff. Uh, Catherine Kurtz's Lamas Night is about, uh, you know, um, trying to uh, use ritual magic to uh, stop the invasion of England in World War II. Um, Robert McCammon wrote a book called The Wolf's Hour. I haven't read it, but I've seen it around, um, which is, uh, I want to say, about uh, a British werewolf fighting the Nazis during World War II and a spy thing. Uh, Tim Powers uh, declare that's sort of one of the, 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 the greats. Um, that is an amazing supernatural meets uh, espionage, no holds bar set off during uh, the World War II and the Cold War. And uh, instead of dealing with uh, something as prosaic as the engradled ones, um, he uh, uses the mythology of Arabia and the jinn as the problem. And the jinn come off as absolutely horrifying other worldly entities. And part of the story is that um, Russia has bound a jinn to it that is... um, uh, is a ghoul um, that G-H-U-L a djinn that devours the dead which explains a lot of Russian history as okay. long as there is something for this thing to feast on Russia will be protected and looked out for and um, it's uh, uh, and, it, and it involves the story involves um, actual spies uh, Kim Philby whose father was a, a an anthropologist and a uh, somebody who studied Arabic culture and such, and um, his connection to um, archaeology in Arabia and uh, and, all- and in case and just a, f- a few of our our listeners may not know, Ken Philby was a real English spy who recruited a spy ring out of Cambridge and basically gave away some of the most best western i wouldn't say gave away but gave to those the soviets some of western's uh government's greatest secrets yeah yeah he was uh, the cambridge spy ring was incredibly effective and so effective in fact that um despite the fact that guys like uh, uh, uh donald um, burgess and uh Guy Burge, excuse me, and Donald McLean, who were two other members of the ring, even though they had escaped to uh, the East at some point when they came under suspicion, Kim Philby was able to get his name cleared, go back to work for MI6, and then later defect. Yeah. So, badly ran circles around the British. He's pretty much the reason why um, John McCarr has a spy writing career. What uh, with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy being a a sort of fictionalized version of another mole hunt for the agent, the double agent inside British intelligence. Um, mole, in fact, being a term that John Le Carre invented for the novel before it entered the parlance of espionage. Um, yeah. But uh, let's see. Um, so Declare is extremely good. The funny thing is that. Um, in the afterwards on the Atrocity Archive by Charles Strauss, 
the afterward is him talking about how friends of his, he'd show his manuscript for the Atrocity Archive to people, and then friends would say, have you read Tim Powers' Declare? He says, no. And they go, good, don't, don't, don't. It's a really great spies and supernatural thing, and if you read it, it'll pull you off course. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't read it until after you're done finishing the Atrocity Archive. And then other friends would come and go, have you heard of Delta Green? And he'd say, no, I've never heard of He'd say, oh, good, good. Don't read Delta Green. It's a really good spies and supernatural thing. If you read it, it'll pull you off course. So, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, uh, and but then he goes back and reads both and was like, oh my God, these are so great. Um, Caitlin Kiernan uh, has done some uh, uh, agents, uh, government agents and uh, the uh, supernatural with a, with a trio of novellas. Um, the first two are Agents of Dreamland and Black Helicopters. Um, Black Helicopters Ooh. is much more stream of consciousness and a little harder to follow since it jumps around in time and goes into the far, far future at points. But Agents of Dreamland is a really solid um, supernatural problem versus uh, a group of professionals who have uh, hard-bitten experience in dealing with this this unpleasantness. Um, and I'd also throw out, uh, uh, you had mentioned that this is the one of the, maybe one of the first you read, was Richard Lupoff wrote um, in 1982, The Documents in the Case of Elizabeth Akeley, which was a pastiche of Lovecraft's Whisper in Darkness, all about how uh, a government, it's all like in the form of a government agent's report about how he has been shadowing Elizabeth Akeley, who is the descendant of one of the cultists who assisted the Migo in the Whisper in Darkness. And it's it's quite a good uh, introduction story. Yeah. Um, and finally, I want to throw out William Murray. Uh, William Murray is a writer who's written a lot of great pulp stuff over the years. Um, he's written a lot of doc, modern Doc Savage stuff, um, uh, some stuff for comics and things like that. But he, he's dipped his toes into horror more than a few times. And when he has done stuff related to uh, Lovecraftian stories, uh, he has uh, created a framework uh, for an agency for, so that his protagonists are connected. This is sort of the reason, it's sort of the reason we created Delta Green. We wanted a reason why the player characters playing Call of Cthulhu would always have a source for a new mission and a replacement when their characters would eventually get killed. Or so, go insane. Yeah. So you'd, you'd always have a recruitment ground for replacements. You'd always have a reason why you're going on your next mission. And that's kind of what Murray does in his Cryptic Events Evaluation Task Force or Cryptic Events Evaluation section of the National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, his story is to clear the earth, the Sothis, Radiant, the Eldridge Collection, and uh, Static. They're all... Pretty good. They're all pretty very solid. I particularly like the Sothis Radiant and uh, uh, To Clear the Earth. Those are both excellent short stories. Really, they're all they're all fourth grade. I, I shouldn't try and uh, you know uh, stack them in any way. They're all excellent. The, the, these are the ones that I am aware of. I think we brought up Dennis Wheatley, who was a a writer of both espionage thrillers and supernatural stories. Perhaps most well known for 
being the uh, source of the Hammer Horror film The Devil Rides Out. Out, yes. With uh, Charles Gray as the stand-in, I guess, for um, uh, uh, what's his name, the the rinky-dink Satanist from the uh, turn of the century. I'm suddenly forgetting. Um, the wicked, the, the beast, the uh, the wickedest man in the world. Alistair Crowley. Thank you. Blanking on Alistair Crowley. Yeah, Charles Gray fills in as Alistair Crowley, and uh, and uh, uh, Chris Lee plays the Duke de Richelieu, who is the uh, the 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 you know the member of the royalty, uh, a supernatural expert who is going to uh, solve this problem. It's a fantastic movie if anyone has not seen it um, definitely check out the uh, devil rides out it is it is a, a marvelous hammer horror film uh bad special effects and all um i'm not i have not read wheatley's book they use dark forces but i have when i was doing some research apparently he does it he he combines uh espionage and um and supernatural horror in this novel so i should probably go take a look at it as i am i'm always sniffing around for exactly the genre because again our delta green stuff is is, is that's what we're that's what i'm writing so sure. um, i'm always interested in seeing how other authors are handling the material um the one thing I want to say... I hate to, to cut you off there, but we are about to run out of time. Sure. Um, and I want to really thank you, because you've obviously put a lot of research into this. Uh, but anything maybe you wanted to share with the audience in sort of closing, or well, maybe things you've learned from your research? I will say this, that um, the the while there are some... There, there are some horror aspects uh, that show up in espionage fiction, in fact, um, uh, in real life. Um, they, uh, the question of who you can trust, the idea that people you've known all your life might not be who you think they are. Uh, of course, you know, books like The Manchurian Candidate, uh, you know, create the situation where you could be brainwashed and not know it. And, uh, which is akin to being possessed, you know. Exactly. But, uh, the one I want to really kind of throw out is that um, there are, and it was one of my inspirations for the ideas behind Delta Green. Um, that is, during the, uh, we had this thing in our, in the background of the, uh, of the Delta Green material that it, that Delta Green functioned inside the OSS pretending to be a psychological warfare unit the, whose duty was to analyze folklore and um, uh, mythology for things that they could use to upset the enemy and uh, discombobulate the enemy. And this is actually something that really happened um, and has happened most commonly in the world of counterinsurgency warfare, which is always right next door to espionage. Um, the Cold War and the CIA was l oftentimes less about creating intelligence networks and creating um, uh, sources of covert information as it was about uh, engaging in sort of the counterinsurgency warfare, uh, a way to intervene in conflicts of the Cold War that was more than diplomacy, but less than open warfare. And mm -hmm. there is a very famous incident um, 
where horror and espionage combine, where, and I don't know if it was, I'm, I don't think it was Ted Shackley, uh, who was the head of, Ted Shackley was the head of uh, uh, the CIA's operations director for a very long time in the 60s, the 50s. But um, it might be uh, Ed Lansdale. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's Ed Lansdale. Ed Lansdale okay. was the was the model for the quiet American, okay, uh, yeah. and the and the ugly American. Well, not so much the quiet American. Definitely the character of the ugly American, which is another mm-hmm. espionage in Southeast Asia story. Yes. But um, Lansdale, when he was in, in the Philippines in the 1950s, there was a a communist uprising. Uh, mm-hmm. In the fifth, in, 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 against the newly independent government of the Philippines, we we did manage to turn the Philippines loose after World War II on schedule, like we had uh, originally promised after breaking our original promise when we took the Philippines off of Spain back in '98. But um, uh, the this uh, there was an incident where, in order to deny. The rural mountain-dwelling rebels access to certain areas of the jungle where they were at home and undercover and could not be dug out and could not be found. The CIA came up with a plan to simulate the existence of a palangang or an aswang, which is, which a, is a vampire. Which is a vampire, which is a south. Uh, South Pacific, you know, Philippines, Indonesia, you know, Melanesia kind of vampire, famous as the flying head vampire. As the head that detaches from the body and pulls all of these withered organs out of the body that it inhabits at night or during the day. It's, it's, it's hidden inside a regular villager like everybody else, but at night the head detaches and flies through the air and slithers in windows, which is why people will put nails in their windowsill with the spikes pointing up so that a pelangong will accidentally impale or entangle its guts in the windowsill if it tries to get into your house. Um, it's sort of their version of hanging garlic. Um, and the uh, Pelangong is known for both uh, sucking blood out of people and killing them, but also very well known for uh, sucking uh, babies out of expectant mothers. Uh, it is sort of the basis of the myth. It's a mythological basis connected with miscarriages. Mm-hmm. But it's also about disease, much like most vampire myths. And so the CIA allegedly sent in special forces teams to cooperate with the um, Filipino government. And the plan was to kidnap, uh, take alive Filipino rebels from outposts, sentry positions, the tail end Charlie off a march, you know, grab them and then allow the body to be found with a couple of holes in the neck, completely drained of blood. They execute them through exsanguination and leave the body where the rebels could find them and, and say, oh shit, we, we can't stay on this mountain. There's a pelangong. Yes. And then they would be able to try and shift the rebels out of an area without having to use military force. Um, that story right there, um, which as far as I know is true, whether it was effective or not depends on 
you know, who's who, telling the tale. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about, you know, uh, the marvelous thing about spies is that yeah. uh, generally speaking, you can count on them to lie. That's 90% that's of true. the job. And um, uh, which is 100% of the job of fiction. Um, you know, and and writing about the supernatural, almost 100% of that is why. So, yeah, there's a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram. But the, the one thing I would leave with is that, the, the story of the, uh, the Filipino vampires that were brought to life by uh, intelligence agencies and special forces teams. Um, you know, there's the, it, 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 you get a little bit of that later in Vietnam, uh, where, with, the, with the ghost voices, yes, the ghost voices, where they would have speakers and airplanes, and they'd uh, they'd cut the engines and glide over the treetops, over the you know, and shout down curses, you know, on the Viet Cong, saying that if they died away from their home village, their soul would be lost in the jungle forever, and and other such things. In fact, um, uh, I want to say. Ted Growl wrote, is it Ted Growl? Uh, wrote, I Am the River. I think that's I'm the I'm not author. familiar with that one. Um, uh, it, it's a, uh, I'm going to quickly throw it into Amazon. I'm pretty sure it's T.E. Growl, but um, let me just, let me just throw this in here. Uh, it's a, I have read it recently, uh, and uh, it, it starts off sort of like, um, yeah, T.E. Growl. Um, it starts off like, you know, the, the, there's going to be an attempt to use the ghost voices on a, a bigger level in, in Vietnam to create this, um, this psychological warfare thing to the, shake up the Viet Cong. And, well, it doesn't go well, obviously. Um, but again, you know, the, the connection... Uh, the, you know, when he would say the question between spies and uh, supernatural, spying is usually more of an urban uh, activity. And um, yeah. the others, the, the, the very closely connected part of that coin is that sort of counterinsurgency warfare stuff, you know, hunting the Viet Cong or, uh, you know, uh, stuff going on in Central America. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, a little more of a rural thing, but there's still a horror aspect that is very easy to find in those conflicts, not the least of which because counterinsurgency warfare gets pretty horrific pretty fast. The, uh, yeah. the Sendero Luminoso, the communist guerrillas down in Peru. The, the, the Shining Path. Yeah. They used to cut the feet off of uh, uh, Indian villagers who would not cooperate with yeah. them. They'd cut their feet off and reattach them to the body backwards. And the the, the mythology amongst the uh, Highland Indians, the uh, I guess the Quechua Indians, was that if you if you mutilated a body like this, you'd be lost in the afterlife. You would not be able to walk to the afterlife because you'd be you'd be turned around and confused by the mutilations. So this stuff shows up a lot in counterinsurgency uh, situations. You that 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 it's particularly ugly, um, and you don't have to go very far to find some horror, and all of it's generated by by humans and not by monsters. Well, thank you so much, and we will definitely, because to be honest, you and I could probably discuss this for hours and hours, but we will definitely have you back on the show soon. Well, so I'm, thank I'm, you very much. I'm glad you found it useful, and thanks for having me on. Oh, um, anytime you uh, have a hole in the schedule you need to fill, I am more than happy to 
to fill it up with words. Excellent. Thank you, and you have a great day. Take care, David. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. That break has broken. Dave, how, how, how are you doing? I am doing well. Oh, it's not. <laughs> Kayiga. Kayiga. Spelled yeah. C-Y-A with an unlat on top of it. Yeah. E-G-H-A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do we know about Kayiga, Dave? Darn little. Um, and, and I think that Kaiga likes it that way. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I re- you know when I got to listen to what we're talking about, I, I I think I recognized the name, but I'll have to do some research. Um, so it's this big giant eyeball. Yeah. Um, with uh, like a couple pupils in one eyeball, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with like a lot of snake-like tentacles. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and there's a lot of Kaiga fan art because it's just an awesome looking oh, yeah. idea there's a there's also a, a metal band called Kaiga mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, but not a lot of stories I didn't think I had read any stories I still don't yeah the one story that I tracked down is by Eddie uh, Eddie C. Uh, Burton and I'm not sure where I can find a copy, but I'll, I'll do some checking in. Maybe yeah. next week we'll tell people. Uh, and that was Darkness, My Name Is. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was published in the early 90s. Uh-huh. So it, it's a it's a, a later creation. Okay. Um, it, it's a, a later creation. Oh, 1976, I found. Okay. It was okay. originally uh, written in 1976 and then was uh, uh, came out in Disciples of uh, Cthulhu first edition in 1996. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the reprint. Mm-hmm. And and it, there, it makes sense that it's from the 70s. Yeah. Because when you do find things about it, uh-huh. it's very Duluthian heresy. Yeah. In the fact that it's labeled as a a earth elemental mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things though I do like about it, 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 it it's trapped yeah uh, you know just like Cthulhu is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's like seven or no uh, five like vulture statues or yeah. vulture like statues mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that have trapped it yeah uh, um, 
and I, I think that's a cool concept. Uh, honestly, and that way we see the other Dilworthian heresy, the war in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know that that you, you can kind of assume maybe these are elder gods, or these were created by the elder gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, if you're doing a game, um, here's the the cool thing about Kayega. Uh, um, if you and me didn't, you and I didn't know a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your players probably don't. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you, you know, unless you're you're playing with Scott Glancy or, or Robin Laws, you know, yeah. they, they probably don't. They, they <laughs> probably don't know a lot about this particular creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can do whatever the heck you want. Yeah. But you know, they come across these vulture statues. Oh, and then they move it or something, and oops, we just released this, you know, giant eyeball tentacle. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I joke around that there's not much um, to to be said, but th- there isn't. Yeah. I broke I broke out my um uh, oh uh, fourth edition uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, Malus Monstromo mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Monstro. Uh, which is, you know, that big, giant, thick oh, yeah. book of Love that book. Lovecraft creatures, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not not the not the new version, which has you know two books, but this one, uh, and it's only got like a a you know a column on this creature, yeah. You know, where um, so there really isn't a lot uh, other than you know it's worshipped by this town in Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and that's always sort of, you know, that gives you a lot of things. I, there's this, and I haven't gone through it. I don't know if it's mentioned in this or not because I haven't really gone through the new Berlin's. But, you know, that's a great book uh, or setting, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Weimar Republic or yeah. even post-World War One, yeah. uh, Germany or... You know, some sort of Octoon Cthulhu or sure, World sure, War sure. Cthulhu campaign. Yeah. And uh, just to let everyone who's out there listening know, Kaiga uh, would be found in the Schwarzwald, which is the Black Forest and uh, like dark, dark hills within like super, super, super isolated parts of... Uh, of 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 uh, the Black Forest, you know, really, really, really isolated parts. Um, so it's 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 uh, it's 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 going to be like kind of in the southern 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 western part of Germany, kind of uh, closer to Switzerland and France. Um, you know, very very rural, very huntsman lodge, very wild boars, uh, very very uh, you know hills that maybe are smoking underneath from coal mines still going. I mean, I, we, we've I, I know we've talked about that in like uh, past episodes of like Centerville, Pennsylvania, but there's uh, hills out in this neck of the woods that have been smoking since the 16th century, I believe. And what I was thinking too, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, this would if you're doing like a, a, a World War Cthulhu, yeah, yeah, you know, the, so this creature it's being bound by like uh, the five vulture statues. Uh-huh. What if one of them gets damaged by artillery shells? Ooh, 
my, my, my idea is uh, a modern day, like a Cthulhu now or something. Uh, you and your buddies are in an isolated village for Oktoberfest, and one of your buddies comes back to the village drunkenly with a vulture statue in his hands, being like, hey, look what I found. And then the village folk all just go pale and freak out. And then it's up to you and your surviving friends to uh, uh, get Kaiga back. So, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to even give another history one. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, is what if you're doing uh, Cthulhu Invictus? Ooh. And, and, and I realize, you know, that I'm, I'm probably, you're much better on geography than uh -huh. I am. Yeah. But, but you know, I know that the, the three Roman legions were lost in mm -hmm. the Tannenbaum Forest. Oh, yeah. Which is probably no, probably no part of this area. Yeah. But, you know, you could have maybe the Romans um, got to stop, you know, the barbarians from destroying the vultures. Mm -hmm. or, or maybe your players are, are you know barbarians and got to stop the Romans from trying to cart away these uh, vulture uh, statues. Or uh, the uh, Saxons jumping out of the trees, out of the uh, out of the Schwarzwald at the Romans are using an eye tentacle monster. And you're, uh, you're a Roman legion who's all like Awe, true to Kaiser, death to uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and uh, your job is to figure out how to trap this this eye monster so that you can uh, go back to uh, Rome and be like, yeah, no, we totally whooped up on those savages. Saxony's yeah. totally ours. Yeah, yeah, it's you know. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that that not only does this creature give you a lot of potential because you know if if your players don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then they can't say, "Well, no, he doesn't have this power. He doesn't shoot lasers out of his eye." Yeah. <laughs> and, and as we talk of it too, yeah. Um, you know what it kind of reminds me of as we're discussing this? Yeah. A super beholder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this would be like, this would be an excellent deity for the beholders to worship. Definitely. In a. Um, in a um, a D and D campaign, yeah, yeah, definitely, kind of like the whole concept of how like Dagon and Hydra are the uh, biggest of their group. Uh, I, I could imagine how Kaiga would be like the you know the oldest or the most powerful uh, of the beholders or something like that, or like some sort of paragon beholder, or, or make a great patron for either a PC or an MPC Eldritch uh, Warlock. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. I like that idea. Or I like the idea of the fact that Kaiga may just be some sort of, like, great wizard. Kind of like how people are, like, Master Yoda's this green little weirdo guy. It's like, oh yeah, no, you have to go to Kaiga to find out about that. And people are like, who the heck's Kaiga? And it's it's like, well, okay, to get to Kaiga, you have to do this and you have to do that. And you have to do this, but don't do this. And it's like, don't move the vulture statues or Kaiga will be released. But since Kaiga's trapped, you can ask Kaiga about magic or mysteries of life or 
life among the stars or whatever you need to find out uh, you kind of have a captive audience who has a cosmic mind and you know it's there's a use for Kaiga right there <laughs> yeah and, but but every time it gives you an answer it's slowly trying to manipulate the characters into removing one of the vulture statues or oh yeah 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 <laughs> or tries to manipulate the character into like learning spells that are going to do something like knock over one of the statues or anything like that like this is earthquake <laughs> what you don't know thunderclass yeah <laughs> here's telekinesis or uh, magic hand practice it on those statues <laughs> yeah all right what else do we got for Kaiga? Well, else that think? really is it. I, I mean, um, I think it may have been mentioned in a few other stories, but it really comes into that one later. Um, <coughs> I, you know, I, I remember, I get that the 70s were 50 years ago, but that's mm-hmm. still modern to me that's still modern sure you know, if it happened in my lifetime it's not history yeah, uh, yeah but it's sort of the modern Lovecraft creature and I think if you're going to be a gamer uh, I don't know I suspect and I maybe one of the reasons we don't see more of it mm-hmm. I suspect it's probably copywritten yeah yeah um, so maybe that's why we don't see more of it yeah so you may not be able to use it in your books and you're writing but mm-hmm. you definitely use it in your games oh definitely yeah and i, I just have one thing i want to say uh, one one final thing kaiga murder maze in like the year 5000 or like you know some sort of like cyberpunk setting or something like that cyberpunk berlin and you know uh, kaiga's uh, i don't know i just i just i don't know kaiga and uh murder maze that's that's all i want to say all right (laughs) well said well said uh thank you again everyone for listening again this episode is brought to you by golden no not golden goat cbd that was last month copper cow pour over coffee little individual uh coffees that you can uh pour into a cup and watch it drip 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 and it takes you know a couple couple minutes to do so and then you got yourself a nice super hot super super toasty uh, cup of coffee uh the lattes come with condensed milk and it's super fun and also glary guitar so uh and musical instruments in general but i i definitely uh i'm excited about this glary that i uh i am getting uh, tomorrow so next episode hopefully you'll hear it and uh and joseph kerwin yeah Joseph Kerwin. Check out Scott Glancy's links in the show notes. And also uh, check out upcoming shows and sponsors. So thank you again, everyone. We'll see you next time when I think we're talking about uh, Dagon and Hydra and all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. That was